Welcome to the Dressage with Amelia podcast, where it's all about breaking things down and helping you learn to love your ride. I'm your host, Amelia Newcomb. These sessions are recordings from my Facebook Live, where I answer as many questions as I can from my audience. I hope you enjoy this episode where I answer your questions about dressage. Please help me out and share this with a friend who also rides horses. Hello, everyone. We're doing, oh my God, we're doing a family huddle tonight. So, Hermann, Joellen, I'm so glad not to be doing this alone because sometimes it's like really um, boring talking by yourself to the camera. So, my mom, Joellen, is here from Colorado. My husband, He's uh, here from the living room. Is here from the living room where he's addicted to what's Wudoku. it called? Wudoku. It's like this little game on your cell phone where you try to put the squares in. I was addicted to it too. So then I had to erase it from my phone and then I reloaded it. So did you? <laughs> yeah. Um, we have some, we don't have too many questions. So anyone that has a question, hi, Jackie. Hi, Amy. Hi, Valerie. Um, what's exciting that happened today? We filmed with the drone. Tell them how it's going filming with the drone. Uh, it's a learning curve. Um, I can get the drone in the air and keep it at a height and go back and forth. No, but it's really cool. Oh, yeah. The images are terrific. The ones that worked the other day and then I didn't do it so well. And we tried it again today and we haven't downloaded that yet. But um, the view you get is really fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, because from above, what I'm doing is like I'm doing the, all the patterns. So like serpentines, the snowman. Um, and today we tried to film a little bit of haunches in and shoulder in and half passes. And it's really cool because you can see the horse actually like bend and straighten. And then we're playing around with like following the horse versus just like staying above. But it's a really interesting view because we always talk about like getting bend in the body. But to be able to actually see it is um super because i cool. say it all the time you know the the bend of the horse has to match the arc of the circle so like if you were from above and you would look down the arc of the circle and the horse's spine and then the arc of the circle there shouldn't be any interruption in that and we got that actually from the drone and i've been i was taught that i've been heard i've been saying it for 30 years and so now we can actually see it yes Thank you for learning that and for not hitting me yet <laughs> on the horse. <laughs> I was a little afraid. Oh, good. Look, Catherine has a question. Is there such a thing as too much throughness? Hi, Catherine. Well, I mean, if it's so through that he's now running past the bit and you can't balance him, well, yeah, then that's too but much. But that's of a not good thing. through. Right. Then it's just sort of running. Yeah. Like the continuation of throughness would be out of control through the front door down the hill yeah. over to grandma's house. No, I don't think there's too much thing, too much, such a thing as too much throughness. I think that throughness is something like that evolves as you move up the levels and it just becomes more and more because throughness is like it's an attitude of the horse. And so the more that your horse is like with you and thinking of you and where basically your thoughts become your horse's thoughts. I think that's like, you can't have too much of that. No, by that definition, you can't have too much of that. Yeah. 
What did you learn today, Joellen? Joellen got to have a lesson. What did you learn? Well, you know, I'm kind of an amateur and, you know, you know these things, but you don't and you work on them, but then you're like, darn, they're still there. So my right leg is kind of screwed up and not, I can't bend to the right and I don't put enough leg on and I'm not careful enough that they're off my right leg and got to get your hands in the box and use your fingers. <laughs> like don't be steering all over the place and rhythm. I'm riding a horse at home that has a very hard time with rhythm. So now I can't even keep rhythm on a good horse that has rhythm. I'm like, I don't have any rhythm anymore. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> Me too. Dang. Yeah. I was oh. having her like change direction. And whenever she changed direction, the tempo would go like so fast. And then she wouldn't change the bend to the right. And I'm like, why are you going so much faster? But it definitely like rhythm and tempo is obviously the base of the training scale, but it's harder than you think. And I actually, I was watching some videos of Carl Hester this week teaching, and he talks so much about like rhythm and tempo and being able to control that and always focusing on the rhythm. So I think that's super important. But the good news is if you really do focus on it and try really hard, you can like get it. You can like get better. Like okay. even within the lesson. Let's see. Donna says, my trainer and I worked on me holding with my shoulders back. She said, I also need to give and soften. Is there a special time to do that? Like half out when the mane is up. Hope I'm asking right. Worked on me holding with my shoulders back. Yeah, I think it's kind of like like you were talking about earlier today is like feeling moments where you can release your body and just kind of like soften your aids. And that's it's it's an important thing that you find those moments where you just kind of like release and follow the horse and see what happens so that you're not constantly overriding. I have this experience where listening to Amelia, I'm writing the canner, I'm getting ready to ask for the canner aid and you ask for the aid and then relax and the horse canners. I'm like, oh my God, this is so incredible. I don't have to like hold and squeeze and then they canner. I can ask and they canner and I can relax. So as an amateur in this family, I'm very much an amateur. I have to catch up like in slow steps forward. So the, the thing about the giving made me think of two things. So once you have your horse in pretty much where you want it in a relatively good way, how light can you be and it still be like that? So you get it there and then you give and you keep giving until you go, oh, that was too much. And so then you find out where that point is. And the other one is, you know, you get your horse in the giving and not in the taking, right? So you when you go to supple and the horse does move a quarter of an inch, you give. You know, you touch the rein, there's that, the horse's neck gets tight, you move it, and he goes, huh, you give right away. So the horse, give. you know, he learns that if he gives, you give. You know, I think maybe that was the answer. Yeah. And I think that, like, whenever you release, whether it's your hands or your leg, you kind of have to figure that at some point your horse is going to fall apart. So it's really important that you feel that. And, like, immediately when the horse starts to kind of, fall apart that you're there to support them and get them through and get them going again like don't wait until it's so bad you've got to fix it like right away again and teach your horse that self-care 
but like Herman said, you get your horse in the giving and that's um, really important. You guys, I simplify it even more than you do. So, okay, if I'm going to go practice and I'm going to canter, I'm just going to canter for a little bit. And then I'm going to relax my seat and relax and take it off. And then I'm going to canter. So I need to know even before I'm responding to the proper move that I can do it, that I can release. So like, if you think about building blocks, can I release? And then can I release with timing, which is what you guys are talking about. So you're way ahead of me. Right. But that's how you find the timing. You, you will break out of the canter and go, whoops, I missed that. Is, I mean, how do you develop feel where you got to do stuff? It's a good question. Good point. Okay. Okay. What else? Let's see. Jen said she loved the video of the muscles. Do you have any tips on how to activate those side muscles rather than the abs? Um, yeah. So that was, that was a cool video that we did and it was really fun to like paint all the muscles on and just to help you guys figure out what muscles you actually should be using. And Stephanie's a great resource. She's helped me a lot and she gives a lot of exercises. Like she'll come work, work with my students and then she'll give a lot of exercises um, that you can do when you're not riding to actually activate like your glute med and your, your side abdominal muscles. So um, for those of you in the academy, we have a few of those exercises this month. And also if you've taken my rider position masterclass all those exercises are in there so that's a good place to go to so here's a question on facebook having a weird week cannot get the canter depart with one horse then my other horse is back to work now i've not ridden him since june 4th he was out with a check ligament now he's back in work with limited turnout he seems very strong to me the trainer and assistant trainer do a great job but now i have some fear i go home in three days I'm needing training wheels. How do I get past this? Get past fear of cantering. <laughs> That's, uh, you go. Get your trainer to put you on a lunge line and somewhere safe and just canter. Yeah. I mean, if you want to canter, you got to canter. So, I mean, you don't want to die cantering. So, you know, get somebody with a lunge line and get into the canter and remember how that feels and you and your horse and you get a little married and it'll be fine. But you got a lot of apprehension there. So you just got to make it an easier transition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think everything in dressage is like taking baby steps and trying to build up your comfort zone, you know, where you get your comfort zone a little bigger every day, but you don't do so much that you scare yourself. Um, I have some videos on YouTube about the canner and the canner transition. And one thing that I always say is like work on trotting really fast. So that you're like trotting basically the speed of the canter so that that way it's not so much about the speed, but like rather than just going like in a really slow trot and then be like, oh my God, I have to canter. Try just working on getting your horse trotting faster and more forward. Um, not, that, not that you want to run your horse into the canter, but that you could like reorganize and then pick up the canter again, I think is a good tip. What else? You were going to talk about the clinic tomorrow with Juan Matute and what you've done to prepare. Oh, yeah. So Juan Matute is coming tomorrow to Spirit, which we're very excited about. I've ridden with Juan for a lot of years, and he's really fun to ride with um, because not only is he a really good trainer, but I think that he does a really good job of 
making like he's really hard on you but he also reminds you that dressage is supposed to be fun and you're supposed to enjoy it like we used to have the clinic at this barn in Malibu where you could actually see the ocean and I remember him telling me like look up smile ocean view um so it's it's really important to remember that at the end of the day dressage is supposed to be fun the other thing that he told me once is he was like, okay, now go and like trot and impress me. And sometimes he'll just say, okay, that's boring, which I think is important that like dressage, <laughs> it needs to be fun. It needs to be expressive. It can't just be like so boring. So what do you think of Juan? He's got a great sense of humor and uh, he brings that to his lesson. So as intense as it is and as hard as the work is, it's still got some light levity to it. And so it really doesn't feel like a task. Yeah, but he does. He's a trainer that gives you like, he's like, do this, do that, do this, do that. Like he gives you so many commands that it kind of, at least for me, it like takes me out of my normal routine in a good way. And it's kind of like his brain is like in my brain telling my horse what to do. So that would be interesting. Tomorrow I'm riding Harvey, Kensington, and Natasha. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be super fun. Yes? Yes. I don't have a horse. Well, I got a horse, but I'm not riding nothing. Yeah. So I'll just be watching. Maybe next time. That would be good next time. What else are, oh, someone had a question. This is a good one for you. So what do you do if you're like in a clinic and you don't really agree with what the clinician is telling you? Wasn't that the question? Yes, that's the yeah. question. Like, like if you, yeah, if you feel like it's not the right thing to do. Or it was also like if your normal trainer, the trainer that you see all the time just has a different point of view and you go to a clinic and they tell you something completely different. How do you cope? Well, there's more than one solution to a problem so if it's still within the basic tenant of my horse must go forward right if it's in the training philosophy it's okay it's just another solution it works on that horse it might not work on another horse so we train to the the we train to the theory in the book you otherwise you would have to write a book for every horse so you if it falls within the umbrella of the theory, now you have to have read the book to know that, but anyway, um, and that would be Pajaski's book, um, you know, the German, right. hand, yeah. the German National Handbook. Uh, mm -hmm. And so if it falls under that, then it's okay. It's just another solution to that problem. Then if it's some weird bizarro thing and it's unsafe, and now you're kind of going, wow, I'm uncomfortable. My horse is starting to stress. Um, I think we need to leave this. It's not working. Yeah. You know, for me, it, that particular odd, awkward moment really just boils down to, is it safe? Right. Am I safe? Is my horse safe? And if the answer to that is no, well, then, then that's that. But if everybody's safe and it's just another solution, I'm okay with it. I don't mind learning more things and different things. Yeah. But here's what I would say. Sometimes you go to a clinic as an amateur. I go to a clinic. I'm going to try and do everything the clinician says. I'm going to work really hard to listen to the clinician and try and do what they say. And I'm not going to talk like stop talking. Just listen and ride your horse. 
Now I've been in clinics where I've really appreciated the clinician because they really slow it down and I'm riding a really hot horse and they're like, your horse has to be relaxed and has to be rhythm, have rhythm. I've also been in a clinic where the clinician pushed my, me too hard. The horse got out of rhythm and I was like, it felt really unsuccessful to me. And now I'm like, not sure I want to go back to that clinician. But in this moment, I was safe, but it didn't feel so good. And so my evaluation afterwards was, I'm going to hesitate to ride with that person again. Right. Yeah. So I but right in the clinic, it's unless it's unsafe, I just keep my mouth shut. And I yes, sir, no, sir. Mm -hmm. Hear the order, repeat the order, execute the order. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's part of like going to a clinic is that it does take you a little bit out of your comfort zone where you will do things differently. And it is a test of like how good your foundation is, how solid your relationship with your horse is, if you can kind of do things differently because dressage is training. So can you do it differently and still communicate with your horse at the end of the day? But I also think that it's important to be selective about who you clinic with. And I always like to go and watch them ride, watch them teach before I put myself in that situation. Because once you're in that situation, it's hard to it's hard to stop and be like, this isn't working. I need to leave. Like, that's a really hard thing to do. And I've been in a situation where I've worked my horse too hard in the wrong way. And he got like a really sore back. This was a long time ago my horse Trump, he got a really sore back. And, you know, my gut feeling in the clinic was like, this is too much. This isn't right. But it's hard to stand up and, and, and say that in the middle of, of a lesson. So yeah. I think, yeah, you have to be selective about who you ride with. And also know, like, sometimes like Joellen was saying, you know, it's out of your comfort zone. Um, and things fall apart. But sometimes you when you go home and kind of like put all those yeah. pieces back together and try to figure out what the clinician wants, you'll actually learn a lot. So sometimes you might get pushed out of your comfort zone and it might not be until a few weeks later that you're like, oh, like that's what they wanted. That's what they were after. And so that that happens sometimes, too. It's almost like there's a point to be made that you you go to a clinic, you try your best, you do what the clinician says, but the real learning takes place at home. When you get home and you redo the exercise and you can recreate what you were trying to do in the clinic. Yeah. But it's also, I mean, as a clinician, like both Herman and I teach and go do clinics and it's hard. Like when someone new comes and you don't know them and you don't know the horse it takes a little time to kind of get to know, like, some people want to get pushed hard. Some people are shy or scared and they need a little more time. And so you kind of have to feel that out and it's hard. What's your advice with that? Well, yeah. And sometimes you just don't read it right. Yeah. I've made that mistake. I just didn't read it right. And then yeah. it's unfortunate when I'm not perfect. It sucks. Yeah. But what are you going to do? Yeah. But I think as a clinician, you also have to see like, like when I'm teaching someone and I think you're this way too, and things aren't going well, you need to change. Right, like you, you change can't, course. Yeah. You can't just keep yeah. trying to have them do the same exercise or the same pattern that's not working. Like 
you have to figure out what else you could do or how else you could explain it. And I think that that you do a really good job of that, of like stopping and explaining things to people and like using like, like you'll even like mime, yes, like get on his hands and knees and like show. I mime the horse. Um, <laughs> but then that's the separate thing of what do you do when your clinician isn't working for you? And so, you I mean, you could say, hey, you know, let's try something else. I'm, I'm getting stressed. My horse is stressed. This isn't working. I mean, I took a lesson in, in uh, and it was intense. And, uh, and then emotionally, I just couldn't, I just quit. They just quit and uh and he saw that and so he changed he changed because i just couldn't anymore oh. i tried i tried and i just broke right so right. uh anyway we all have that experience it's awkward and you just do the best you can <laughs> it's just sometimes it's just awkward what are you gonna do well well you guys i think you bring up an interesting point so i have a teacher that i work with at home regularly i agree with her 85% of the time. And sometimes I'm just like, that's not going to work today. That's not going to work for me. And it's very hard to be a student and say, hey, I this isn't working for me. That's a very hard situation to be in. It's very hard when you're in a clinic with somebody you don't know. Yeah. But I think if you have a regular trainer, you need to get to the place where you can talk and say, you know, I really can't do that today because my right leg isn't working right. Can we do something else that helps them get off my right? You know, whatever it is, but try to, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? that I just take my lumps. I, just, <laughs> I hear the order, repeat the order and execute the order. Yeah. No matter what. No, but I think sometimes that is why it's good to like get out of your comfort zone and go to clinician because like that happens when it's your everyday trainer, you get like too comfortable with them and then you don't obey the order. You you want to question it. You want to discuss it with them. But that said, I think that there is like when you're teaching, when I'm teaching someone, I can see a lot and like Herman and I have worked to develop our eye but we can't feel what that rider is feeling exactly. And so I think as a rider, it's really important when you're in a lesson, when you're in a clinic, at the end of the day, you are responsible for how your horse is feeling. If your horse is strong, you need to supple and give. If your horse is lazy, you need to make a correction. You can't wait for your instructor to tell you that. And like my mom and I were talking today about what's the difference between a professional versus an amateur well, that's it. Like a professional is taking initiative and making corrections and feeling and doing things. An amateur is waiting for someone to tell them to do that. And that's not to say like, if you're an amateur, aspire to that, because that's the next step is you taking initiative for what's happening, even when you're in a clinic, being able to obey the orders and still have that responsibility. So if you're in the clinic and it's not going well, do a 10 meter circle. Just turn. <laughs> Hardly. You can't do too many circles. That is a fact. It's just not, you cannot do too many circles. There you go. Like, yes. Okay. Circles are good. We filmed some circles today. Um, so that was good. Okay. Here's a question from Facebook. 
I find we have a really nice rhythm at the walk. My hands and seat are really following, but then I ask for shoulder four or leg yield and I find the rhythm stops. My hand stops, my seat stops, my horse stops. I'm really not sure who is stopping first. Probably you're stopping first. They go the way you ride them. Much to my chagrin, they go the way I ride them. So um, without seeing it, my first guess is when you go to move the shoulder with your hands, your hips are stopping. And so the hind legs just quit. Because if your hips don't move, the hind legs will just stop. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Isn't that true? Like, I try to do something and my hips stop. Amelia said that to me today in the lesson. Oh, yeah. She's like, oh, you just stopped your hips. You, like, went like... to shorten the reins <laughs> and just, like, totally stopped riding. And the horse stops. Oh, you mean I don't have an independent seat yet? Yeah. <laughs> I think they, everyone says that you can't multitask, but I think riding dressage, I think you have to, like, you have to be able to shorten your reins and keep your seat going or like ride shoulder in and keep everything else going. Well, it's like walking and chewing gum, right? I mean, you, your hips are moving and your, your feet are moving and your teeth, your teeth are moving. So when you gather the reins, your hips move. Yeah. It's hard though. I mean, I think that well, I riding. Say it was easy. Yeah. Riding is, is hard and like the progress is so slow and it takes so much time. And one thing that we were also talking about today is like kind of this law of diminishing returns, which is so hard because we've all been there where like you get super inspired and you're like, okay, I'm going to ride better and I'm going to like work super hard and I'm going to ride every single day for like, and then you end up riding a horse seven days a week for over an hour and it just like all goes to shit. <laughs> So there is a lot of diminishing returns. Like you cannot do that. I had a trainer and he said it really well. He said, you know, you would learn faster if you rode 10 horses a day. You can't ride your one horse as if he were 10 horses. <laughs> That's good. That's good. It's true though. And I think it's really important to remember that. So if you can't, so basically you can only ride your horse five days a week and not, you know, not really more than 45 minutes if you're really doing like dressage stuff. So what what other things can you do? Um, visualize, visualize your ride. Like what's it gonna feel like? What does it feel like when it's right? What are you gonna do when it's wrong? Watch videos, watch other lessons, watch other people riding. I don't know, what else can you do? Um, I, I love the books. I love yeah, the books. read books, work I out. I'm lucky I have a couple horses and it's amazing if I ride my one horse and then I go like even like on a trail ride with a quarter horse that's not in training I can work on my leg position and I yeah. can feel it so even if you're going to do something else uh, and you're lucky and have another horse even if it's just walking you can learn something from walking yeah. a horse. Uh, when I when I had Q not new Q but Q and uh I wanted to get under the Grand Prix. I did. I, I just set a goal every day. I did something to get him to the Grand Prix. That didn't mean I rode him, right? right? Um, I, I read a lot of books. I it was before you know internet and the videos and all that, but um, I did every. I did something every day to that goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to think about other things that you can do besides just drilling your horse, because that's that's one of the challenges of dressage is that you cannot overwork your horse. Your horse can only do so much. It's like 
you know, dressage for horses like weightlifting. I mean, you can't drill that. You can't overdo that. And you have to also, you know, take care of your horse and recovery. And I think a big part of it too, is taking care of your own fitness and your own body. And especially as you get older, like even I feel that I told my mom, we were just out on our back porch here. Like she was doing yoga and I was, I don't know, jumping you're, you're around. kickboxing or something you're doing over there. Oh God. But I definitely like feel it, like the old injuries that I have and they affect you. And if you don't take care of your body, it affects your riding and it affects your horse. And so, you know, that's a really important piece of of dressage and of riding is also taking care of your body so that when you get in the saddle, you can actually do, because like my mom, her, I was like, your right leg isn't working when you're riding because it doesn't work when you're not riding too. Oh yeah. That's pretty funny. Oh gosh. Okay. I, I have to explain what this looks like. Not only like being with Amelia all day. Okay. Let's see. She worked for an hour and then we went to the barn then she rode Harvey. Then you rode your new horse. Then you rode I don't know. You rode Mercurio with Herman. You rode Sylvia's young horse. You rode the really tall 18-hand horse. You rode... We rode a lot of horses. You gave the lesson to me. Then we come home. Oh, we went to Target because we had to get a few clothes for me because I live in Ranchville where there's no shopping. So I, we got clothes like for half an hour. Then we came home and we had to exercise. So we changed clothes. We got on the deck. And Amelia is kickboxing and doing all these incredibly hard moves. And I'm over here just trying to stretch and do <laughs> yoga. And she starts making fun of me. But I do oh. think it's indestructive to think about all the things that you have to do to ride and that you do have to exercise and you do have to have control over your body. And that takes effort, yeah. effort. But plus the reason we're squished behind here is because the camera for Facebook doesn't allow us to have a wide angle. So I'm always like, yeah. why is her mind sitting behind you, Amelia? That doesn't look yeah. so good. Because we're on Facebook and, and YouTube, YouTube at the same time. So we are multitasking here, people. Who knew? Who knew? See, that's YouTube back there. And this is Facebook. Up I, here. And the Facebook, the camera on the Facebook is, is sitting on a candle. Yeah. Now, this is how we like. Yeah. Don't give them behind the scenes because like over there is really messy. <laughs> this is like. No, that's, my, that's my bed. Right? I give the impression <laughs> like I have everything together, but really it's. Yeah. You don't want to know what goes on inside my head. So. We're going to get some video and some photos of the clinic. So that will be super fun. And we're going to keep going with our drones. And what are we having for dinner? Fish tacos. Halibut fish tacos. Best thing when you visit Amelia is her mom's fish tacos. Because he goes (laughs) fishing. And you got a lot of lobsters. Lobster season opened in California. Yeah. So last Saturday. So we caught our limit. Yes. Lobsters and fish and that's it. So yeah, we'll keep you posted how the clinic goes. Thank you everyone. Thanks for joining me. (laughs) Yes. In my casual clothes this evening. Yes. Okay. Are we still on YouTube? So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for all of your awesome questions. And I hope you learned something new from listening. If you're new to the podcast and you'd like a question answered on a future one, 
Get on touch on Facebook through Amelia's Dressage Club, Instagram at Amelia Newcomb Dressage, or YouTube at Amelia Newcomb Dressage, and mark the question for the live sessions. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you like it, please share it, review it, and tune in again next week. Thanks so much and happy riding.